Yeah, the, the difference between our bar and a lot of other places is that people come in here and just be a person and nobody made a big to-do over who they were and they could just hang and if anybody was harassing them, they'd be asked to leave or whatever. That was Ellie Simmons, artist and co-owner of Specs Bar. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. Every week on this podcast, you'll hear from artists, writers, business owners, and San Franciscans from all walks of life, telling stories, sharing personal histories, and trying to put into words what makes this city so special. We truly appreciate all the likes, follows, comments, and shares you give us every week. But there's another way you can help us out. Go to the store page on our website to check out the different pledge levels. Each level of support gives you different storied SF merch back in return. Thanks a lot. Welcome to episode 34, part two. In part one, Ellie told us the story of how her parents met in North Beach in the 1950s, and she talked about growing up in San Francisco in the 60s. In this podcast, Ellie talks about her dad opening his eponymous bar that survives to this day, the various cast of characters who've been in and out of the place over the years, and the documentary movie she's making about the bar and her parents. Here's Ellie. There is life after divorce counseling, and it's actually really good. I mean, it depends what you want and you need, but it's um, but it was extremely painful. I um, let it go on way too long. I should have just booted him out and stuff, but we both did. It, you know, it was like the longest. There's a Paul Brady song called "The Long Goodbye," hmm. and it was like the longest. And it was a nine-year goodbye. Oh. Poor, poor Michael had to witness it. Shafa wasn't here yet. He was at Trias, but he wasn't. It was really tough, but um, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And it does get a, it definitely gets easier over time. I mean, I used to, you know, well, this is not a divorce counseling interview, but so Scott, when I'm actually going through the divorce, not when John split. He split and came back and split again. But it was a long goodbye. But when I was actually going through the divorce, we were sitting talking finances. He already was really disabled with the Parkinson's. And you, like, drop a lot of stuff when you have Parkinson's. So I was down on my knees, like, picking up schmutz from his meal or whatever. You know, we'd, I've been paying bills and doing, you know, for doing different stuff. And then he goes, <clears throat> and I'm down on the floor, like, cleaning up. And he goes, <clears throat> This still cracks me up every time I tell it. So I'm like 56 and he's like 26, 26 when I was born. So whatever. Uh, he's 80 something. He'd never given me advice about men. He always let me do whatever, you know, make my own. You know, he had his own. He only told me when I was divorcing, he never particularly liked my ex-husband. You know, I mean, he liked him, but he didn't get along. He didn't really, they didn't get each other. But, but, um. So he clears his throat, and again, you know, I'm like below this guy with Parkinson's, you know, on the floor cleaning up. And he goes, <clears throat> and I go, what, Dad? And I look up, you know, and he goes, <laughs> he goes, you know, sooner or later, everybody sleeps, everybody in North Beach sleeps with everybody else. I'm 56 years old, I look up, I'm like, Okay, you think I'm going to work everybody in specs and then move to the saloon and then Vesuvio's like, what the? I mean, believe me, I've had my fun, but it's like, it was words of wisdom. But then at a certain point in time, when I watched all these people moving in and out with each other, roommates, you know, you know and it, at that point he was in skilled nursing, I'm going, you know, Dad, sooner or later, everybody does sleep with each other. <laughs> but sooner or later, everybody has to live with each other. That's a hell of a lot harder than sleeping. <laughs> and he goes, 
that. I have to find my own apartment. I'd rather work four times as hard. Have, have my own place. But I mean, it's still, it was so beautiful. It was like this protective father. Because when I was young, nobody would fucking touch me. And I mean, I was married for a long period of time, but I was single when I was really young. And, you know, I, you know, I hung with a couple of different North Beach guys before I met Sean, but enough. But basically, people were scared of my dad. You know, mm. you know decades later, man, come on, I was like, oh, I was so sweet on you, but, you know, your dad, I wouldn't give a shit. Wow. What a reputation. So he tried, he tried being... And I was pretty. But I was, you know, so he tried when he's in his 80s. He's like warning me. Everyone. <laughs> Everyone, literally. It was so funny and it was so sweet. Your dad opened the bar in music. Si- no, I, I want to talk about oh, me? I talk about the bar. Okay, the bar. Yeah, yeah he opened it in 68. 68. And mm, I mean, you were already you 13. were a teenager. Like early, yeah. What was that like? You said you worked here. Did, were you working here already? Not at, thir- at, not at 13. I did help hang some of the first things on the wall. Yeah. We all um, did. Um, but I actually started working here when I was 17. I think 16 or 17. But, you know, doing stocking. Yeah. You know, cleaning, swamping. You know, I couldn't work. You know, did I was he underage. I couldn't. Did he already collect stuff before he opened the place? Oh, God, yeah. Okay. You should see my house right now. I mean, my mother kept it to um, a really interesting, artsy household, but not like this, you know? Yeah. Um, and he also was younger, so he didn't have as much stuff, right? But um, when he opened it, and I have photographs of it that will be in the film, and, and at some point I'm going to put together a book, too. You know, when the walls were bare and there were just certain things and our first anniversary, you know, the opening party over this table, he had a Chinese duck, a Peking duck hanging from the ceiling with a peace button on it. And there was Margot Patterson Doss and John Doss, Margot Patterson Doss, who did the um, garden walking towards, you know who she is? They're both gone now. But anyway, they were, you know, he borrowed money from like 10 people to to open it but it was like a grand each or something it didn't cost that much to open um and we actually fought a year in court to get the liquor license because he secured the space from the italian family bar it had been prior and then they wouldn't the abc wouldn't give us a license because it was the height of the um topless stuff Mm. and they thought that we wouldn't make it as a bar and turn into another topless joint they were trying to curtail all of that stuff. So I just found the paperwork. I mean, I'm still going almost three years after he passed. I'm still going through boxes and boxes of paperwork sure. and tchotchkes. And I mean, I'm Isaac Shumway, who ran the new Tosca bar when it first opened and then has worked other places and loves this place. He's opening a bar in San Rafael. And we were talking on the phone about some bar stuff. And I said, oh, you know, what's it going to look like? Like, what are you doing? He goes, San Francisco, California history. I go, you want to come over? And look, I have like 500, bo- not 500, but I have boxes full. I mean, if I framed everything in my house, I just spent three days putting them into sleeves. I have a lot of stuff. Same with Kevin. And it's interesting. It's, I mean, there's hardly any of it you want to throw out because it's cool stuff. Same with Kevin Hunsinger, though. I'm sure Well, that's what a bunch of it's going to go there. But he goes, you know, we have a lot of wall art we're really looking for is tchotchkes. And, uh, you know, the best of them, of course, I'm keeping and we rotate stuff over time. But I there's didn't know a wo- that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think people know that. Actually, there, I mean, 
slowly, but over time, things change. Because well, a lot of us are drunk when we come here. I'm just going to really? throw that out there. And it's like, well, no, th- things like the painting of your mom, like some, some things will like grab well, your Well, lots like, of things that have been anchor, here forever. They will anchor you to the place. Right. But it's like, you know, there, I, every time, and that's another thing I love about this place is every time I'm in here, I find something new. Right. To be like, holy, what is that? Right, right. Um, no, he did, like, I at home I have um, a burl along painted piece of the cliff house. No, not of the cliff house. This is a different one. It's an elk. It's like a piece of redwood burl with an elk on it. Maybe it's a moose. I don't remember. Anyway, it's on the wall right now in my living room. Um, and it just doesn't quite seem fitting in what my dad generally collected, which is a lot of maritime and union and labor and political. And then I just found an old photo of the bar somewhere. Oh, I know. Um, our bartender, Ken Collins, who's a photographer in New York, just when I was really young and in the early days, just found some photos and sent them to me. And one is of my mother, myself, and my sister sitting under the portrait of my mom. And the other one is my mom and Boz Skaggs, who turned 75 yesterday. And another dude who I, looks like a musician might have known, but I don't know who he is. Because he was in here a lot and um, was kind of sweet on my mom after my folks split up. It's a pair I hear. But um, anyway, the, the piece was right where the right below the 86 image yeah. that somebody did for his 86th birthday. And I don't know who actually did that one. But um, it was there and something else was here and that was moved. And like I just found out that the, the piece behind the, the Haida Loon carving... The piece that looks Middle Eastern. Yes. I took a picture of that and I posted it on Facebook. And Mohammed, who's a friend that lives in the neighborhood who works the door at Vesuvio's, said um, his mother gave him that. He's Senegalese, Egyptian. And that's from Senegal. And his mother gave it to him and he gave it to my dad. My dad put it up in the bar. And that one, I actually didn't know where it came from. Most of them, I know the stories behind. Yeah. Almost all of them, but I didn't Is know that, that Ginsburg? one. In the no, that's actually Jerry Barish's portrait of my dad. Ah, okay. But it could be, you know, they're both Jewish like dudes with yeah. glasses. Yeah. Did your dad know any of the any of the beats? Was he involved in any of that stuff? Um, he knew them, of course. I mean, the ones that were still around came in here. Car- um, not Kerouac. Um, Kaufman came in here. You know, a lot. Hirschman, all the poets still hang here. He was not particularly into. He was very into literature. He was more bohemian, engaged politically, and not as much into the beat. But, you know, he totally lived around the whole beat scene. He knew if them all. If he's here, I mean, you can't, you have to be right here. Oh, absolutely. It's, this is kind of Yeah, gra- yeah, no. Zero. And he was really good friends with um, Ruth Weiss, who's still alive. <coughs> she had a major s- stroke some months back. And she's back reading poetry at 91. Awesome. This woman's a survivor. So he met her in Vesuvio's when he first hit town, when he first came, before he met my mom. And he said to her, you know, where do you go around here to hear jazz? And she goes, do you have money for a cab? And he goes, no. And they walked from Vesuvio's to the Fillmore and probably went to Bop City and whatever else. And became friends. And, you know, she's from Vienna, Jewish also. And, um, you know, my dad loved history. I'm sure they talked about that stuff as well. as. And she's a beat, you know, poet. Yeah. Poet. Very important beat poet. Like Ferlinget. Like, did he know Ginsburg? I don't actually know if he knew Ginsburg. I know that um, 
I found notes of like IOU cards of uh, envelopes of you know Corso owing money to the bar and which actually said Corso five bucks, which back then was like twenty five putts. This and that. I mean, he loved my mom was close with Bob Kaufman, okay. and um, who broke his vow, who did break his vow of silence in here. Apparently, had broken it before, but he did break it in here. But really, the world of my parents were more jazz musicians and and blue collar workers. I mean, he really was closer with industry people and. Um, and merchant marines and longshoremen. Mm-hmm. You know, people get off the ships and come in and, and, you know, the classic thing is you hand 300 bucks to the bartender and say, only let me spend 30 a night. You know, bartenders are like, they banks. the bottle. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so we had these huge Hanukkah parties and in the mornings, you know, the ones that were too schnockered to go back to wherever were on the floor were mainly blue-collar workers. That's what I really grew up with more more than poets but they were all I mean my dad you know but I was a kid I was like this hippie kid I, mean, I was reading poetry I was going to see light some but I didn't know them that much I know that you know I know a ton of poets now yeah yeah but um Kerouac was thrown out of every bar in North Beach right I mean he was a bad drunk in terms of who was here I do know things like Thelonious Monk came in here one day who I love. I listened to him all the time through art school. And he sat down on a quiet early you know, evening or late afternoon. And what no artist ever wants to hear is some regular or whoever the hell it was was sitting at the bar stool and turned to him and go, you know, your early stuff was great, but your new stuff sucks. And Monk took his beer and threw it down at the guy and walked out. That's a Thelonious Monk story. John Prine hung here all the time. I mean, my dad was not into name. You know, the the difference between our bar and a lot of other places is that people come in here and just be a person, and nobody made a big to-do over who they were, and they could just hang, and if anybody was harassing them, they'd be asked to leave or whatever, which doesn't mean that my father wouldn't respect someone. I'm friends with Taj Mahal now, and I always wanted him to meet my dad, but it didn't happen because he was always touring and my dad was, you know, became pretty ill. But because Taj was from Springfield, Mass, they're both extremely, my dad was and Taj is extremely um, interested in history, cultural history, um, music, of course, American roots music, politics. Taj is very savvy, worldly guy. I love him. I just love him. He, uh, when, um, who's the latest that just died? Oh, Dr. John died. I emailed him because they're the same age. Taj is taking care of himself. I mean, he he knows how to take care of himself, and he's slowing down a little bit, not in recording and films and all kinds of stuff, but he's slowing down a little bit in terms of touring, which is wise and stuff. But he, they never taught, and he also grew up in Springfield, Mass., in a Jew in a house that was owned by Jewish families, but his flat, obviously, his family's black. So he cuts up in Yiddish like better than I know. (laughs) And he's so funny. So, bar opened in 68. When did you kind of become old enough, forget about working here, but like old enough to like kind of be an adult and, and drink here? You know, I worked here when I was younger, but I actually didn't drink here until I was of age. I think that might have slipped up a couple times, but, you know, my dad knew how old I was. Right. Unlike other people that 
I'm I'm probably the only person that did. it was a very different time. It wasn't sure. as strict with ABC, and um, there were certain people like the dude I'm hanging with right now that came in when I first brought him in here. He goes, "This is your dad's joint." I go, "Yeah." He goes, "I first drank here when I hit town from Boston. I was 18." Yeah. And he goes, "And your father said, come over here, kid." And he fessed up. He was this tough ass old kid, young man. And um, <laughs> and he goes, I'm not 21, sir. And and he he goes, um, shut up. What do you want? You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I guess he, he ended up knowing each other. So you know, some of that happened. But I didn't actually drink. You know, when I was a hippie, I didn't drink that much. You know, it, becoming connected to the bar culture. Since I mean, a lot of the people that hung here were people that had been you know partying with my parents and friends. The people that first came here, besides other neighborhood people coming over, drifting over from other bars, were the community of people that um, I grew up with. So it wasn't that different. Yeah. The difference was the schedule at home. Like my dad would come at four in the morning and I'd wake up and stuff, you know, and sleep in. Also, when he was a sheet metal worker, he was up early, out early, back in the mid-afternoon, chilling with a gin and soda playing guitar, whatever, when we were home from school, my mom was still at work. When the bar thing was in the morning, it was like we had to tiptoe around to not wake him up. Dad was asleep. Because he slept, yeah. So it changed the household in that respect. Was the place, because the place now and, and for the last 20 years, as long as I've known it, has been s- special. Yeah. Unique. Did it always feel that way? Yeah. I mean, that's what hasn't changed that much. It's really fun to watch new people come in and look. Like some people come in, they just want their drink and their bullshit with friends or whatever, and, or they're quiet drinking it, really barely even notice this joint, what's around. But other people come in and they start taking everything in. Um, and it's, it, you know, it, whatever they are, whether they're, you know, downtown workers or travelers from Nebraska or this or that or whatever, they're curious or something piques their interest or whatever. Last night, for some reason, there was a period like three, four years ago where on weekends it was completely slammed with young tech and really loud and really not very um, polite. Like you can be rowdy here, but you can't be so loud that other people can't talk to each other. And we have a certain code of respect here that we try to keep going still. Don't be an asshole. Yeah. You know, it's like have fun and party, but don't don't get so out of hand that nobody else can have a good time or whatever. And people will be asked to quiet down and ask again. And then, you know, usually they self leave if it really bothers them. But in re- in the last couple of years, it hasn't been as bad. It, we've gotten more, co- in my opinion, more people that really fit, you know, that are younger, but really fit in here. They're kind of like the, the kind of people that have always drifted in and then stayed. Last night was like, Crap, boy. I mean, it was just the straightest looking crowd. I mean, the whole place, like at a certain, you know, I was here. There were a few people in, there were a few more. And then you hit like 10, 30, 11. And the younger, you know, I can say that. And the younger people start coming in, yeah. you know, because they're partying and they're out doing this, that, or they've been at the speakeasy and then they come over after or whatever. And they're all dressed up. Can I get in your own words? Why are you making a movie? It's all Aggie folks. Uh, Jack Hirschman's wife, Aggie Hirschman, Falk Hirschman's fault. No. I was starting on a book, and there was a Wednesday night circle of poets, and she goes, it's got to be a movie. I'm like, okay. I started a long time ago, and I've worked on it on and off, you know. 
life got in the way, divorce got in the way, paying divorce lawyers, my dad got ill, I need to take care of him. Um, a lot of things interrupted it. Then he passed, I had to deal with the state, you know, all his stuff. It's an only kid. So, and then there's fundraising. But the beauty of it taking that long, as my new editor, Todd Darling, pointed out, is that I have material from early on and people that aren't around anymore. And um, I want to honor my father and my mom and what they started and the values. I mean, a lot of, you know, I mean, the bar, you know, bars are about fun. Bars are about getting schnockered and silly and and uh, hanging there with friends that have lost people or going through, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but this particular place also encapsulates a lot of the movements that have happened through the history of time since we started in an important year in 68. So we had people from the American Indian Movement in here, the Alcatraz stuff, the I Hotel. You know, we had both, you know, Vietnam sailors and soldiers that would come in and all the anti-war activists which we were part of um the topless dancers upstairs which everybody loves talking about because we shared the bathroom for a long time those were the days i was cleaning the bathrooms those were interesting times at 11 a.m stuff you'd encounter in the bathrooms but um this was always a safe place for the women dancers to come down and get away from all that shit and it's always been a safe place for women um, in terms of being able to come in on your own and not get harassed and, and fermented. That's why his two cards go, you know, one is Madam, the gentleman prefers to sulk in silence if someone just wants to sit and have a quiet drink. I mean, as a bartender, you know that. I'm not as good because I'm a schmoozer. I mean, I'm learning that at this old age. So I'll go up and go, do you mind if I sit? And I go, you want to be by yourself? You know, I'll check it out or whatever, but... Or, um, gentlemen, the, the lady prefers to sit by, or whatever it is, I can't remember. It does not require the presence of your company. Um, or, to, you know, to let people be what they want to be in here. And sometimes that's just a quiet drink. I'll go do that somewhere else before I come here, because I can't do that here. Because I know too many people. <laughs> that's kind of, I mean, in, 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 you're talking <laughs> about one specific place that embodies that spirit. That spirit, I feel like, has kind of been part of san francisco it hasn't always been the prevailing like at the yeah. ethos of the of the place but right it's come to san francisco and be who, who you want to be right no that's so absolutely true i mean special. it's yeah it's always been true i mean my parents kind of embody that whole classic you know eastern european to west to east coast to west coast for the free and that's what my dad would talk about and my mom, too, because my mother was just as bohemian as my dad. I mean, her whole family was. My grandmother were called herself a free thinker. They weren't religious. Even though they were raised the Lower East Side, there were a lot of Orthodox Jews around them. They were um, educated. And uh, I think when she first came, the story was she took her kids to a temple that happened to be Orthodox. And, you know, she was from Russia and not had not been a lot of... Orthodox temples. I don't believe the family was particularly religious over there, but she decided to bring her kids. And when the women had to be separate, or whatever, she goes, "No, this, you know, this stuff for my daughters," and left. And that was the last, yeah. But very, very Jewish identified and stuff. But yeah, I mean, the Bay Area has always been a place. California has always been a place where people can come and. You know, it's the beauty of California. It's all the new exploration. I mean, that's why we have Silicon Valley and the whole tech thing even though it's kind of destroying i mean it's a mixed bag uh, you know the things that are being looked into 
it's a tool, so it can be used for bad or good, right? It's definitely changed people. Though I was at the Warhol exhibit yesterday, and watching um, all the selfies. You know, the art becomes just a background for selfies, and you know, and women. Even when I walked out of my apartment at the top of the Kearney Hill this morning, and everybody's in their summer weather stuff. So it's so it's like you know, women sitting at the top where usually there's meth heads. Yeah. <laughs> In their hot summer things, taking selfies of themselves against the, the background or the whatever. I want, <laughs> in your words, and maybe I'll rephrase it if you want, but like, how can people support your film? Because you are, you are still fundraising? Money. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no. How can they I mean, do that? I have, um, thank you. Our website is, I mean, that's the hard part about working on a film is the fundraising. Our website is www.lastcallthespecsfilm.com. So last call, as in a last call, the specs film with no um, punctuation, .com. And then I have more recent edits I can send people. And we take PayPal. And um, the email address is mine, elliesimmons at iCloud.com. I don't take any of the money. This is a labor of love. It all goes to my editor right now and we're cranking away and um also Presida eyes mirrorless is our fiscal sponsor so if you donate through them you have to earmark it to the specs film it's Presida eyes mirrorless association incorporated for checks and you can call and put it on a credit card and you can to give 10 bucks 50 100 um on the the environmental movement basically started at this table. It started in offices. The environmental movement of the United States started in a little office across the street and the first ecology center and then around and Gary Snyder, speaking of poets, brought in, um, I'm sorry, I'm tired. Uh, all the t top people, so Randy Hayes and um, Clara Greensfelder is the top thing. So they basically would come here after work and um, drink beer or vodka, depending on the period of time, and brainstorm and argue and dream up some of the biggest movements, the environmental movement. And I knew some of that, but until we interviewed him, I didn't know all of it. And I've got a short of specs um, with my daughter when she's about 13, walking around Chinatown during the New Year's parade, and him quipping about, you know, chicken heads and <laughs> being a grandpa. And some really cool footage. And then I ha the, the last thing, my um, editor, Jason Bryant, before he wasn't able to uh, continue working because of his wife's health, did is called um, Early Days of Roxbury. And it's my dad's early days in Boston, what shaped him. And it's really cool. How did he so get that footage? Through your dad? or um, Interviews with my dad, which I wish I'd done mo more of. But oh, it's just your dad talking about that? No, but we, we interspersed with all kinds of archival footage and early family I mean I have boxes of family photos I'm the archivist archive I am basically when my divorce happened thank God I got the house because it's up to here <laughs> my mom's stuff I have stuff my dad's stuff but it's all true so I literally you know in, in October it'll be three years since my father passed and I'm still going through stuff because I'm really conscious of you know, I value it and I want to do them right. And like a lot of other people would have just dump stuff. But I'm going through. And almost everything he kept is interesting. And I had a woman who was going to help me with the archive. But her mom just passed. And she's got her hands full. So right now, um, 
I'm still going through it myself, and I've given things to people that loved him. I've sold some, and the funds have gone to the film. And now the new the Cultural History Museum is interested in some stuff, which would be awesome. And they're hoping maybe they can find a space in North Beach, which would be. They're looking around. That was Ellie Simmons. Join us next week when we'll hear from Street Photo SF founder Ken Walton. Music for the podcast is by Otis McDonald. Film photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you want to stay up to date on the stuff we do. The website is storiedsf.com, which is where you can help support what we do. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. Those really help us reach even more people. If you have comments, suggestions of who should be on the show, or you just want to share whatever's on your mind, our email is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.